welcome to of Monsters and Crime, the podcast, the full episode, not a half episode. You get the whole thing today. Not that you usually don't get the whole thing, but you for sure get the whole thing today. Uh, first and foremost, shouting one out to my boo. You make the best glassware. Thank you for your glassware. Uh, so I've got this tension in my neck shoulder and it hurts to lift my arm at times. And, you know, I figure though, your arm is like math. You don't use it ever in your adult life, right? You do not need your shoulder. I do not need to lift my arm ever. Uh, I'm not at a concert. I'm not hailing a cab. And I was told to put my hands in the air like I don't care, and I don't care. And if Freebird comes on, I can put my lighter in the air with my other hand. Problem solved. Uh, Tonight I'm drinking, shocker, uh, not wine as I usually do, but I'm drinking margaritas tonight. Uh, So that is fun and uh cultural of me, right? Um, let's see. So news has kind of been pretty boring. It's been the same thing week after week. People want Cuomo to resign as New York governor. Um, we've got this Delta variant of COVID going around and places are starting to mask up again. Sturgis motorcycle rally is happening starting today, actually. Uh, Friday, August 6th for 10 days. So good luck to those hundreds of thousands who are planning to attend. Uh, We are in August now. I can't even believe how fast the summer has gone by. Uh, The Olympics end this weekend, I believe. Um, I think Sunday is the closing ceremonies. I might be wrong. I'm probably wrong. And I'm sure someone will rate me a one on on Apple Podcasts because I didn't research properly, but whatever. Uh, I'll correct it in a future episode. So Uh, let's see. I did watch some of the Olympics. Um, Not a whole lot. Today I actually watched some artistic swimming Uh, I believe they used to call it synchronized swimming, but it's now called artistic swimming. Um, I also watched uh, women's volleyball, and the USA is going on to play someone uh, for the gold. So go USA. So let's see, what else? Um, I bought $2 in pull tabs just a couple weeks ago, just sharing this story for y'all. And it's kind of interesting, uh, geographical, uh, differences. So, okay. I bought $2 in pull tabs. I, we were at a restaurant eating and my grandma recently passed and she loved playing pull tabs and there was a pull tab machine in this restaurant. So I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to put $2 in, get two pull tabs and, you know, in her honor. So I get the two pull tabs and one of them, I 
win $100 on, which is fucking awesome. So I went to share this with a couple of friends, and they were like, what the fuck is a pull tab? And I'm thinking, is this a Midwest thing? Uh, I thought everyone had pull tabs. I thought everyone knew what pull tabs were. Uh, I also assume the same thing with, with a hot dish. I assume everybody knows what a hot dish is, but every time I say the word hot dish, people are like, what the fuck is a hot dish? So I'm learning things about my region uh, every day um, that the rest of the United States and the world do not know, but I am here to educate you on all things Minnesota and Midwest and Wisconsin and um yeah, so a pull tab. So it's got these three little tabs that you open up and, and you, you pull them open. And if there's a line, you win. And on the back, it tells you like how much you win, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you find it's definitely an old person thing. Uh, I'm starting to learn that it's it might be like a Minnesota or Wisconsin, like rural thing. Uh, you find them mostly in like legions and uh, shit like that. If you guys even know what a Legion Club is, now I'm beginning to doubt everything. Um, so, yeah. Uh, apparently, that's a new term for people. So, um, if you don't know, now you know. R.I.P. Biggie. Uh, so, I watched Lollapalooza streams on Hulu all last weekend. It was really nice to be able to watch some of the performances not being there. Um, I used to, When I lived in Chicago, I used to go to Lollapalooza every year, and it was so fun, and I really, really oftentimes miss living in Chicago. Uh, not just because of that, but there's a, a lot of reasons. It was the best years of my life there. Um, but I saw some cool performances, Tyler, the creator, and Foo Fighters were probably the most memorable and top performers as far as entertainment goes. Um, I caught G Herbo and Polo G and some others, and it was really nice and awesome to chill at home and just have this shit playing and watch it. Um, I wanted to see Young Thug, but... His schedule got moved around because the baby was canceled. He's been canceled a lot everywhere for some uh, comments that he made recently. Uh, but I did hear Young Thug's set on Sirius XM, and that was pretty cool. Um, let's see. Movies, TV. Uh... I watched the new Space Jam. I also watched the old one before it because I just felt like I needed to watch it again. Um, and the new Space Jam isn't bad. Um, it's not great, but it wasn't bad. I thought it was pretty cute. Um, I've been watching, let's see, I watched Ted Lasso, which is really good and had some good lulls in it. Um, I highly suggest it. Jason Sudeikis is in it and he's just hilarious. Uh, I only watched season one though because uh, season two they uh, it's they're only releasing one episode a week and I can't do that shit. I have like I can't just wait week 
week by week. Like I have to be able to binge it if I want to. So I haven't watched season two yet. Kind of waiting for those to come out and I'll, I'll, I'll watch them, um, in batches, I guess, if I need to. Um, so, uh, let's see what else. I've been watching some other trash TV just to kind of have background noise and pass the time. Um, I watched this show called Too Hot to Handle. It's on Netflix. It's terrible, but it's also actually funny. And uh, yeah, I, I think there's two seasons and then there's also a season uh, like a Brazil version, which, um, is hard to watch and annoying to watch because they're speaking in Portuguese. The closed caption or whatever the captions are in English. And they also have dubbed English and sometimes, and I don't know, the voices don't match up. Like the emotion doesn't match up. And sometimes the English dub version does not match what the uh like subtitles are saying so it's really hard like I'm hearing one thing I'm reading another thing essentially they mean the same thing but it's I don't know anyways watching that it's about people horny like party players whatever uh male and female going to this resort thinking that they're going to like party and shit and turns out they have rules they can't uh, engage in any sexual activity, no kissing, no heavy petting, no sex, uh, no masturbation. And if they do, they lose money and whoever, or, uh, at the end of the show, whatever money is left, um, they either split or one person gets it. It's been different every season. So, um, yeah, that's, it's kind of funny to watch. Um, it's really hot to watch, too. Uh, I also have been watching The Big Bang Theory um, at night just to just kind of mindless, um, a, a mindless show that I don't really have to pay a whole lot of attention, a whole lot of attention to. I've seen him before. Uh, I know it gets a lot of criticism, but I find myself laughing out loud probably every episode. So I'm not going to hate on it. Um, otherwise I've been working on some computer art, some ANSI and ASCII's. I recently drew an ANSI. I meant to draw an ASCII, but whatever. Uh, it turned out pretty good though. Um, also have been working on writing an article for a friend's zine and, uh, I've had a lot of family stuff going on, so I've been pretty busy lately. Uh, just trying to keep my mind occupied uh, doing some projects and stuff. Uh, so with that being said, uh, I guess we can move right into tonight's uh, episode and story. And I just want to remind everyone that this is a true crime podcast. It's not necessarily murder, but for some reason I have been doing murder every single episode. So if anybody has any other true crime recommendations that isn't murder, like I'm up for it, uh, I'll do it. Uh, but yeah, murder just seems to be, I guess, 
the hot topic. Um, so tonight I'm doing a story that I've heard quite a lot about, um, but a lot of you probably have not or might might not have not. Does that make sense? <laughs> might not have not. Um, I've been following since it happened a few years ago. And it's such a solvable case, and it drives me fucking crazy. So this is the Delphi murders, and this is a rabbit hole, Reddit, late at night story that I have found myself just completely rabbit hole. Like I said, it's just a fucking rabbit hole on Reddit. Uh, There's a ton of information on Reddit and YouTube and uh, other places, the internet. Just Google it and you'll find tons of stories on it. Um, There's also two seasons of two different podcasts that cover this story. One is called Down the Hill and one is called Scene of the Crime and they're both really good. Uh, Murder Squad also did an episode about it. Um, Like I said, there's just so much about this story out there. Uh, So let me tell you about the town of Delphi. It's about 70 miles outside of Indianapolis. It's really rural, surrounded by cornfields, farmland. Population is about uh, under 3,000, so it's very small. It kind of reminds me um, of a town that I the town I grew up in. It's the kind of town where everyone knows everyone. It's close-knit. It's very safe. There's very little crime. Uh, The town has one main street that goes from the jail to the library, and it's surrounded by beautiful nature and hiking trails. And uh, there's also nature walks that are really popular for the locals and the people who are into that. Um, Like I said, to a T, it's it sounds like the town that I grew up in, and I love it. Um, it's Monday, February 13th, 2017. It's February. It's the middle of February, but it's unseasonably warm and beautiful out. Uh, it's a sunny day, and the local kids are unexpected, unexpectedly given the day off of school. Like, fuck yeah, when I was in school... I lived for those days. We never got days off because the the weather was too nice. Like we only got days off because it was fucking snowing and cold and nobody could get out of their fucking driveways because there was three feet of snow. Never did we ever have a day off because it was nice. That would have been awesome. Uh, so they're stoked. And uh, two of the kids... Uh, their best friends, they're uh, Abigail Williams, who's 13, and Liberty German, who's 14. And uh, these gals go by the names of Abby and Libby. So the girls are classmates in their small eighth grade class. They're on the volleyball team together. Uh, Abby was an only child, and she lived with her mom and her cat, Bongo, um, and she's close with her grandparents. Her hobbies are horseback riding. She loves to read. She's really smart. Um, She's quiet and shy, but she warms up easily and she makes friends easily. She kind of sounds a lot like me. Hmm. 
Uh, so just a sweet little lovely girl. Uh, Libby was the youngest of three girls raised by her grandparents in Delphi. Her whole family basically is uh, from the area on both sides. And she, um, while, while Abby was kind of like reserved and shy, Libby was like this outgoing, adventurous girl. And she's a kind, thoughtful person. Um, she stuck up for kids when they were getting bullied. Um, you know, she played sports all year long. She had just gotten into welding, which I think is rad for a 14-year-old. Um, Libby was described as wise beyond her years by her family. And um, actually at 14, she's already taking classes at Purdue University, uh, which is nearby. At fucking 14. That's amazing. So clearly she's really smart. And both of the girls played the saxophone in the school band. They loved arts and crafts. They loved photography. They're both avid sports players. And they're both into true crime. And wanted to pursue careers in forensic science one day. So they probably liked CSI and shit. Um, they were just good, sweet, enthusiastic smart, kind people, uh, which means those parents busted ass every single day to do right by those kids, even when it was the hard thing to do and even when it was not the fun thing to do. Um, and the grandparents too, they were just amazing. Uh, everyone was amazing. So back to that Monday, uh, the girls don't want to stay inside on this beautiful day off of school, so they decide to visit the Delphi Historic Trails to take some pictures. Um, and, you know, they ask their families, like, can we go? And it's a popular hiking area where the girls have been before in the past, so them going alone isn't a big deal. They're 13 and 14, so they're in that stage of becoming teenagers, but still kind of young. Um... So about one o'clock that day, Libby's sister, Kelsey, drops them off at the entrance to the trail, which runs through the valley of the uh, Wabash River in northwest central Indiana. And uh, the trail that the girls are on that day, it's, you know, uh, kind of a small trail, like two people wide. Um, it's surrounded by trees, but, you know, it's the middle of winter, uh, so I'm sure there was snow and shit on them. I bet it was beautiful. Um, but it leads to an 850 foot long abandoned wooden railroad bridge called the uh, Monin High Bridge. And it's one of the tallest bridges in Indiana. It stands 63 feet high and it sits several stories above Deer Creek, which is a rushing little river below. Um, think like Stand By Me, uh, the movie, when they have to run across the railroad track. It's just like that. Um, so because it was built in 1891 and abandoned in 1987, the wood of the bridge is rotting, disintegrating in a lot of places. So crossing it takes some time and you really have to pay attention to where you're stepping because uh, some of the wood chunks are just rotted and 
you know, you don't want to step on them. You don't want to go down. That's 63 feet high. Uh, that's a long fall. Um, if you go on YouTube, you can actually find people filming themselves crossing the bridge and it does look really scary and treacherous. Um, there's also no sides on this bridge and that's really scary. It's just the tracks and the bridge. There's absolutely nothing that you can put your hand against. It's so stand by me. Uh, and if you have a fear of heights, this is not something that you want to cross. Um, but it's a beautiful location and the locals seem to treasure the spot. Uh, so a little after 2 p.m., Libby posts a Snapchat photo of Abby walking across the deserted bridge. So there's no one else on it. Um, so that's 2 o'clock. We do not find out about this until later, but at some point, a man crossing the bridge alone behind the girls creeps him out enough so that Libby starts secretly recording him, which, as a woman... We fucking understand why one would do that. We don't know if they had an encounter with him before that creeped them out. So when he was crossing, uh, they started filming. We don't know if it was the look of him that creeped them out. But for some reason, Libby starts filming. That's just her instinct. And when Libby's father shows up to pick them up uh, to drive them home, He's not really overly worried when they're not there at the time that they agreed upon, um, you know, thinking they probably are just running behind. He assumes that maybe they just lost track of time. They're teenagers. It happens. But he starts to get worried when there's still no sign of them by 4 p.m. and calls to Libby's phone, do not get picked up, which is not like her at all. So... Both families search for the girls themselves before they call the police. Later that night, there's still no sign of the girls and a large amount of people are searching the area for them. The sheriff's office releases a statement to the press saying there's no reason to suspect foul play or to believe that the girls are in any danger. But uh, dozens of volunteers continue to search until midnight when the search is officially suspended uh, and some friends and family continue searching overnight, which is like suspending. Like, I can't imagine what the fucking families are going through when the search is suspended at midnight when there's a 13 and 14 year old girl lost in the woods. So the next day is Valentine's Day and the search for Abby and Libby resumes um, and at about noon, a volunteer searching the back end of a piece of private property spots two bodies uh, and the location is about 50 feet from the creek and about half a mile east of the bridge. So the next day it's confirmed that the bodies found are Abby and Libby and at a press conference after their completed autopsies, the deaths are ruled as homicides. And though uh, details on how the girls are not how the, how the girls died are not made public, uh, we actually still don't have details. There's so few details about this case, um, so there's just a ton of speculation. 
The Indiana State Police won't say how they were killed, but the superintendent, Doug Carter, calls the murders, quote, the epitome of evil, um, which makes me really curious. Um, I just, I think it makes a lot of people curious and people need to know. Um, it's not stated whether or not there's DNA, but it's assumed that there is. And all of that info is still not known to this day. Uh, investigators are saying that um, they're holding some of the case details close to their vest with the goal of having information that only the killer would know uh, when they finally arrest him, which makes sense. I get that. But holy shit, like the details that have been released on this case are so small. Like, I feel like they they could release a lot more and we'll get into that i'll get into that later trust me um so now it turns out that libby's phone had been found with the bodies of the girls and so indiana state police uh release a grainy photo that they say came from libby's phone and it's actually a still from the video that she started taking of the dude crossing the bridge. So it's kind of grainy because it's kind of far away. Uh, it's it's a video um, screenshot, uh, or, you know, a screenshot of the video, whatever. Um, the photo is of a man who seems to be following behind the girls on the bridge. He's a white man, has his hands in his pockets. His head is tucked down, almost like he's not even aware of them. You know, he's just walking across the bridge, but clearly there's a reason Libby is filming and continues filming this guy. Uh, and let me just say this. When you have your hands in your pockets, the, um, what are they called? The, uh, uh, fucking, uh, body body language body language experts there we go say that you're hiding something so you have something to hide when you have your hands in your pockets you're hiding something and it's like knowing how treacherous that bridge is you wouldn't cross it with your hands in your pockets you know what i mean there's no guardrails there's nothing to hold on to nothing to keep your balance it's not a natural walk when you're walking across a bridge like that, you know, with your hands in your pocket, it's just not natural. Um, he's wearing a bulky blue jacket, like kind of a uh, windbreaker type um, jeans, like this flat looking cap and either a long brown shirt or some sort of like fanny pack. And it does look bulky like he has something in his like like his clothes just don't fit him properly like they're baggy they're big you could hide shit in there uh in the photo it kind of looks like his hair and not a hat but i do believe that it was a hat but it, it looks like he has like this part down the middle but you know who knows uh and that's the problem who the fuck knows no one knows and so people start to speculate that one of the girls must have started taking video of him and so that freaks people out too that she even started like something is wrong with this person and remember the girls are interested in true crime so 
the fact that she started filming him is indicative of that. Um, police officially name the man in the photos a person of interest in the murders, but don't give more context to the image. So on February 22nd, law enforcement circulates an audio recording from the video that was on Libby's phone. Because remember, she's like taking video. So the sound is really muffled and it almost sounds like he saw her taking like, like maybe she stuffed the phone in her pocket and left the video running because she didn't want him to see that uh, she was doing that. And um, you can hear a man with a deep voice kind of almost commanding uh, say the words down the hill. I'll play this audio for you. So officials um, say that Libby is a hero for being able to take a stealthy video despite the fact that she must have been scared to fucking shit to even have started taking the video at all. And police say they have additional evidence from the phone, but they don't want to release it because they don't want to compromise any further trials. Uh, so they're thinking this audio recording and this fucking photo of a fucking dude in this small town of Indiana is going to catch the guy. You know what I mean? I think everyone thought that. And so when no one's arrested, um, Indiana State Police distribute the photo, a uh, composite sketch, and a description of a person of interest in July because it still hadn't worked. And after they receive information from witnesses who were in the area at the time of Abby and Libby's disappearance, they're able to make a sketch. Because um, this isn't even, I mean, there are, there are other people out that day hiking. It's not even that secluded. It's the middle of the day. So the person of interest is described as a white man between five foot six and five ten, weighing between 180 and 220 pounds, reddish brown hair, and it shows him wearing a flat cap and he's got a goatee. So the suspect becomes known as the bridge guy, and on Reddit they just call him BG. Um, so six months into the investigation, there are more than 25 police agencies assisting the case. Everyone in the small town of Delphi becomes suspicious of each other. Every other face, they're trying to find his face. And the fear and the paranoia gets so bad that the local county prosecutor has to specifically warn residents not to harass, bother, or accuse anyone. And they have to say, stop putting photos side by side of the sketch because fucking everyone looks like him. This is the thing. This is the thing of these stories. Like, this is a town that two little girls get killed. People want something to come of that. They want forward movement. They want, obviously justice uh they want like that idea that it's um the intent is so good and the results of the mistakes of that intent are so bad which 
opens the door into the entire conversation. But it's like, yeah, when you've got a town that's already emotionally charged, then it can go wrong so easily. And it also can be said that when the police agency gives such little information to go on, um, there's going to be like, it's all people are going to do. They're going to panic. So eight months after the murders and having investigated more than 24,000 tips and interviewing 500 people, police finally name a quote-unquote person of interest and announce that he is in custody. So 31-year-old convicted sex offender whose name is Daniel Nations, who's arrested on February 24th, uh, he's arrested for weapons possession in Colorado, where he lives. And uh, Nations also has an uh, expired Colorado license plate, which ties him back to the area around Delphi. So there's a lot of similarities between Nations and the sketch released by the police. If you look at the photo, they are very similar. He's They've both got a downturned mouth, a goatee, big eyes, like wide set eyes. I mean, it looks just like him, uh, except for the ears. Sorry. Uh, so they also believe that nations who is allegedly threatening people with a hatchet on a hiking trail in Colorado, uh, it might um, also be the same person who shot and killed a bicyclist on that same trail a different time. So he's definitely a person who fucking threatens people with a hatchet on a trail. And he might also be someone that kills someone on a fucking hiking trail. So Nations has a lengthy criminal history. Uh, He's required to register as a sex offender in 2007 after being convicted of indecent exposure for exposing himself while sitting in his car in a parking lot and later flashing a woman and a child. In previous years, when he's stationed at Camp Lejeune, he's charged for indecent exposure four times, charged uh, once while in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and uh, 2016, he's convicted of public indecency in Indiana for fondling someone in a public space. So he's caught uh, spying on women and masturbating in a woman's restroom in a gas station. He's convicted of domestic abuse in Indiana, a number of other minor convictions. And Nation's wife says, so he is married. Um, She says he doesn't have access to a car on the day of the murders and on the day after when the girl's bodies were found she had driven him to his weekly sex offender check-in so kind of giving him an alibi uh but according to her they watched the news coverage of abby and libby's murder which is also a red flag like if someone is too interested in this particular crime or in a case uh it's a red flag. And while she's like, yeah, it totally looks like the composite sketch, 
but he doesn't own any of those clothing. So in uh, January 2018, he is transferred to Indiana's custody for failure to register as a sex offender. And everyone's like, this is fucking it. This is the problem. It literally looks exactly like him. In the photo with not a lot of detail, the things that do have detail look exactly fucking like him. It's his face. He looks just too much like him. So everyone's like, he got transferred to Indiana, fucking custody. This is fucking it. They finally caught the killer. Uh, But in early February 2018, the authorities say that Nations is no longer considered an active person of interest in the Delphi murders. And maybe there was some kind of DNA comparison. They don't tell us. And it's like, give us a little more information, which is one of the frustrations of this case. And I don't want to talk shit on the investigators. I'm sure they have a rhyme and a reason and hopefully are really good at their job, but it's almost like it's not enough information. Um, but he's, he's not taken off the suspect list, uh, and he's not ruled out officially. Uh, he's not ruled out and he's, but he's just not a person of interest right now. And so for the town of Delphi, who thought that justice was about to be served, it's a huge blow and they don't get a good reason as to why he's not anymore. They don't tell anyone shit about shit. Uh, and in January 2019, um, there's another suspect, 46-year-old Charles Andrew Aldridge is arrested at an undercover sting operation in Union City, Indiana. Uh, he thought he was going to meet a 13-year-old girl for sex, but is greeted by an undercover cop instead. Sucks to be you, dude. And following his arrest, he's charged with two counts of child molestation, one count of attempted child molestation, and one count of child solicitation. So he becomes a person of interest in the Delphi case after his mugshot is aired on the news and tipsters call in and they're like, y'all, he looks exactly like the sketch. This is the big problem with it is everyone fucking looks like the sketch. Uh, he kind of looks like Chunk from the Goonies, actually, but um, he looks just just like the sketch. And he also uh, he looks like the first guy. It's crazy because it's very similar. And also in the picture of the actual man, um, which also is not um, like we don't know. We don't know for a fact that that this first sketch was actually the suspect. It was actually the dude, the killer. Like, what if that was just some guy walking, you know? Like, we don't know if that was actually the suspect's sketch. Uh, And they don't tell us. Um, So it will get worse. It always does. It's just 
amazing because when the piece of evidence where it's like, it could be this guy, but it's vague enough, then you're just trying to like retrofit people. And uh, someone on Reddit is always like, you know, every man in the Midwest can look like this fucking sketch. And that outfit he's wearing crossing the bridge is what everyone fucking owns. It's not interesting. And clearly is probably a choice wearing a hat, having everything kind of obscured, like the outfit is perfect. And having your head tucked down, um, or is it? Because maybe he just went there for a fucking hike that day. Uh, It wasn't a known day off of school, so it's not like he went there looking for children. It's just, there's just so many questions about this, and we don't even know if the sketch or the photo is even the right guy. Although we do assume that the photo's the right guy. But we don't know. Um, So they're like, he looks just like the bridge guy. This guy also has a reputation, Aldrich for being a pervy fucking weirdo by regularly posting stories to his multiple Facebook pages about missing children, sex crimes, murders, wanted killers. Uh, I honestly feel kind of attacked. Uh, but I'm not a middle-aged creepazoid man, so it's different, right? 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 But I mean, that would mean that I'm suspect number one if anything happened around me, right? Because I am into this. I am. I don't necessarily post shit on Facebook about missing people. and But anyone who knows me knows that this is what I'm into. Would I be a suspect if something happened? But I'm doing this with an angle of maybe solving these crimes and like fixing it and like getting the word out there. And I feel like you can read the text and know if someone is like stroking and getting off on this shit. Like he even posts stories about Abby and Libby days after their bodies are found. So he's posting and okay, hold on. Let me tell you one more thing about him. He uh, openly admits to the FBI and local and state police to having multiple sexual encounters with minors under the age of 13, which I'd like to point out, I'm not laughing because it's funny, but is not a sexual encounter. That's rape and molestation. Let's not call it sexual encounters. It's rape. It's molestation. But they don't have any concrete evidence that leads them to the murders. So you gotta hope there's DNA and that there's uh, multiple other suspects I'm not getting into because they're, uh, it's all similarly like vague shit and you just hope there's DNA and that they're testing and uh, hopefully doing all they can, right? Uh, Because we trust in the system and we trust our law enforcement and our police and our investigators and it all works, right? Right, okay. So about two years after the murders, investigators have interviewed over a thousand people, including possible witnesses from that day, suspects, 
anyone who may have information about suspicious activity on the day that the girls went missing. But nothing has led to an arrest or a definitive suspect. And it's crazy. There's cases that have less evidence than this that get solved quicker. I think everyone was like, this will be solved immediately. Like when you hear about it, you're like, thank God that girl took video, but like, it's not working. We thought it would work. Like that should have been case closed. It solved. We got him. No. Uh, so on April 22nd, 2019, Indiana State Police hold another press conference and this time they announce they're moving in a new direction in this case. Like this shit's not working. Let's try something else. So first they release a brief video clip of the bridge guy walking along the bridge uh, so that photo they have of him is a still of the video, which is really grainy, hard to see, clearly far away. Uh, they release it as a one second video of him walking on the bridge. The same video that they got the still from. And his gait is weird and they acknowledge that because he's walking along the wooden slats. So they put it out there to get people who might know this man and know the way that he walks. They put it out there so someone could identify him. But he's walking different because he's walking on the bridge. Like you're not going to walk the same as you were as you would like uh, on a normal street that wasn't fucking falling apart and you could fall 63 feet down below. Uh, so you wouldn't immediately immediately identify him because of that. And he's moving fast as if he'd walked this path many times, right? He's just fucking moving along on this bridge that I would be slowly taking little steps. Um, and then, so this guy, James Renner, uh, he's a friend of the family. He's uh, the investigative journalist. He's an author. He's a Billy Jensen type. If you know who Billy Jensen is, check out the Murder Squad if you don't. Um, he's awesome. So uh, he wrote um, the book called True Crime Addict. Anyways, uh, he said, this is his words, quote, I went out to the bridge when I visited the family and I couldn't even step out onto it. He said, you don't get a sense of scale from the photos. It's so high and so old. If you look at him in the photos and videos, he's striding across it. And that tells me he's crossed that bridge a lot, probably as a kid. He's not scared of falling. He's a loco. And... He's walking with his hands in his pockets, which aside from the body language, it makes balancing, like I said earlier, twice as hard. Um, so he's going across it. The first thing I think is he's trying to present an image of a casual, not dangerous person. And the girls know, and I guess supposedly there's audio because they did let the family listen to the audio more than they released, of course, uh, more of the audio, and um, that it's a dead end at, at the end of the bridge. Like, it's trespassing if you keep hiking 
further than the bridge. So the girls were stuck at the other end of the bridge. They probably didn't want to cross and pass him. All right. So, so police also release another piece of the audio. So you just heard the down the hill part and they released earlier uh, and everyone was like, oh my God, this is exciting. We're going to hear his voice more. So someone's going to identify it, but all they release is him before he says down the hill. He says, guys. So it's guys down the hill. Um, I'll play the audio for you. But, um, so he addresses them. And so they don't tell us what, but something about that command, I feel, is meaningful to them. And a lot of people speculate that maybe referring to the two young girls as guys is like, a military thing or, you know, a teacher, um, something perhaps a teacher would say, but it means something. It has to, right? Like, why would they just, otherwise, why would they just release one additional word? Guys, down the hill. Like, it has to mean something, right? Um, I feel like we're supposed to find something in it. But again, earlier when I was talking about my pull tabs, maybe it's a Midwest thing because I feel like it's pretty common to address like a group of people or like more than one individual, uh, girls or boys as guys. Like I say guys all the time, even if I'm talking to females. Is that a Midwest thing too? Um, I don't know. You guys tell me. Why don't you write in and tell me? So everything has meaning when it's an unsolved case. Um, everything needs to be poured over. And then who knows? It's just opinion. It's all opinion. But someone could be right. Uh, and when we have pictures of who people are in our heads, those things are just out of bounds and insane to consider that someone that you know could do this. Um, they also released a second sketch. So there's a new sketch of the suspect and it looks like a completely fucking different person than the first sketch. It's a much longer face. It's a completely different person. It looks like it could be like this guy's son. But also, who is the second sketch from? So it confuses everyone. Uh, Indiana State Police Sergeant Kim Riley said the new sketch was not another take on the man in the video, but was another person entirely. And this person depicted in the first sketch was not presently a person of interest in this investigation. So the first sketch with the goatee that everyone, you know, got questioned looked like isn't even someone to fucking consider, turns out. 
But they don't tell us why this person is now the person to focus on. And they don't tell us why they released this first sketch and why he's not part of it anymore, which kind of drives people crazy, understandably. So they update the description of the suspect to be a man between 18 and 40 years old, but they say that he could appear younger than he actually is, like have a younger face or something. Um, They say, we don't want to say the old sketch is not involved, We just want to say that this new sketch is more indicative of what we're looking for at this time. So like everyone's like, are there two people involved? Like, what are you talking about? And there's a lot of controversy, of course, because a lot of people feel like time had been wasted because they're searching for the wrong fucking face altogether. And it turns out that the new sketch was actually made days after the girls were found. This is the original sketch, but it took this long to actually release it. Years, right? I think. I think it's been years. Three years, maybe? A couple years? Uh, Regardless, it was released way too late. I mean, it should have been released immediately. Uh, Which upsets people, obviously. And... The last thing investigators reveal is that they believe the man who murdered Libby and Abby currently or previously lives in Delphi, this tiny town of 3,000 people, or works in town or visits on a regular basis. Someone that's there often and is familiar with the area. So it's a fucking local uh, because a lot of people were like, it's right by the... Hoosier Heartland Highway, so he could have been a trucker, but apparently this bridge is really hard to find. Like, even people who are from town, um, people write about it on Reddit and shit, didn't know it existed or try to find it, and they can't. So it's a local fucking place. Um, So maybe you grew up there and moved away. Who the fuck knows? Um, And this, of course, terrifies the small town and the families of the girls as well, uh, knowing that the murderer could live among them. They go to the grocery store, and fucking dude is begging their groceries. Could it be the murderer? So, all right, here's the, like, there's tons of theories. There's tons of little tidbits. The only one I'm going to give into, which I'm not really giving into, but I'm going to speak about it now because it's interesting. Uh, I like it. Uh, I don't know if it has anything to do with it. Um, Okay, so there's this thing called geocaching. I'm sure most of you know what this is. Geocaching is uh, people go and bury interesting little, uh, it's treasure. So pre-buried treasure hunting. Uh, But then you're given the coordinates. It's like a scavenger hunt with coordinates. Uh, There's a community you go and sign up for. You chat amongst yourselves in the community. Um, So if you're a member, you, you bury one and they're like, you're like, here's the coordinates. You post it to the community site or whatever. And they're all over the world. And like families go and like 
um, adventures, like all kinds of people do this. Um, it's also not the exact coordinate. So it's kind of like just a, uh, approximate area. So it's kind of a fun little treasure hunt. So players will sometimes leave like a small token behind. You take one, you leave one. That's kind of the basic rules of geocaching, whatever. Well, it turns out not only were Libby and her older sister Kelsey geocachers, there's a cache at the uh, Monon High Bridge, which is the bridge. But wait, Libby and Kelsey had found the cache a couple days prior to the murders, and Kelsey had logged the cache. That's what I read anyways. So maybe... It has something to do with that, uh, but there's more. Uh, so there's a news conference for the we're changing direction, and it's a big fucking deal, this news conference. Indiana State Police Superintendent Douglas Carter addresses the killer in a really, um, like, heavy way, I guess, and he says... We believe you're hiding in plain sight and may even be in this room. Well, the geocaching, like, tagline uh, motto thing is hiding in plain sight. Ooh. So, some of us think him saying you are hiding in plain sight is a message to the killer. That we know there's a geocaching angle. Maybe? Like... We know who you are, and we just need to find the right evidence, right? Right? No, probably not at all. But people do think that this is a theory, and I liked the connection, and I think it's definitely possible, and it makes sense going along with the behavior where they're being so guarded about whatever they're releasing um, that they would be speaking in code, kind of, I guess. But also, hiding in plain sight is a very common phrase. And uh, maybe, though, it was his delivery that made people think that there was a connection. Um, I don't know. I don't have that audio or that video, so I don't know. Um, But someone made a really good point on Reddit that um, if it's a fucking resident of this 300-people town someone would have seen them. But then they were like, they could be a second or third shift worker that lives like at night and doesn't actually like interact with people during the day. So no one would see him at the grocery store. Um, You know, he's there at like 530 in the morning or whatever. Like it could also be one of those kind of, um, I feel like, there's some killer where it's like uh the perfectly neutral like um the people that have learned to camouflage themselves in the light of day where you would never notice you would never think twice this is not a person who stands out in any way and that's all on purpose and that guy on the bridge is wearing bulky clothes so that that could be like a skinny as shit dude that no one looks twice at because he doesn't have the build of the bridge guy i mean 
I wish there was more information. Um, I feel like investigators keep expecting the tiniest piece of evidence to get this solved because it's so obvious and it's not happening and they need to release a little more because adding guys to down the hill what like it it means something there's a reason they did that but it didn't work it didn't fucking work and also usually from what i've seen and read in the past uh because I'm a fucking expert on this shit, right, you guys? Usually they keep one specific. Like, it's not, they don't keep everything and then release things one at a time like that. Usually it's like there's there's um, a bit of, like, sh- uh, they share, but they withhold something that's crucial, like a murder weapon, type of cigarettes, something like that. There's a bunch of people who are connecting these murders to other murders across the country, but we can't really do that because we don't really know how they were killed. We don't know any of the signatures, so it's impossible to do that. And maybe it would be easier um, to solve if we knew it was connected to a murder, you know, like a state over. I'm saying we... uh, just because I lurk, I lurk on Reddit, but um, the citizen detectives, it's almost like there needs to be another. Uh, people need to start to understand the kind of work that people can do from their homes. And I think they're starting to learn it, but it's like, yeah, put that information out there. But at the same time, we could also fuck it up really badly, too. Like, we could be pinning it on some totally innocent fucking person and ruin their lives. So, I get it. It's a fine line. I get it. Okay? So, in the three and a half years since their deaths, police have received over 40,000 tips over uh, the course of the investigation. And as of now, no new leads have appeared. The Indiana State Police say that they still receive new tips about the Delphi murders almost daily, and there's two state troopers, two Carroll County Sheriff deputies, um, and a Delphi County police officer and someone from the prosecutor's office working regularly on the case, uh, as to many internet sleuths, and sometimes the FBI assists but it's basically a dead end right now. It's not a cold case, just a dead end right now. Uh, They reiterate that. So the reward for information leading to the arrest of the Delphi killer is over $250,000 made up of big and small donations from the community fundraisers and includes a $97,000 donation from retired Indianapolis Colts punter Pat McGaffey and CEO and owner of the team Jim Ursay, which is like, wow, that's awesome of those guys. Uh, So as of October 2019, Libby's grandmother, Becky Patty, who you can hear talk on these other podcasts, uh, is fighting cancer, but she stays positive in knowing that even if she loses her battles, she will get to see her granddaughter in heaven. And Becky says the family has asked that the police release more information, and she says she does believe they do have DNA, which is good. Um, 
like this poor Abby's mother, this poor woman, she's super private about everything. She's frustrated that three years have gone by, um, but is grateful that no one has forgotten the case. And Libby's sister, Kelsey, she's this incredible fucking woman uh, and advocate. She's become an advocate for the hunt of her sister and Abby's killer. And she even changed her college major from communications to forensics because she's like, I want to help other families solve cases like this, Um, which I would love to change my degree. Like forensics, forensic science, like I am... That is totally something that I want to go back to school for. And maybe in the future sometime I can do that uh, because it's a fucking dream to me. Um, So Kelsey told James Renner as a way to keep going and honor her sister. She said, I want to be the person um, I saw Libby as. So outgoing and fun, talking to everybody. If they were still alive today... Lib, uh, actually both of them would be 18 years old. Um, and, uh, that is the yet to be solved Delphi murders. Solvable. It's so fucking solvable. It's solvable, but more information needs to get released. Like they have to have more information or the right person needs to see him walking across the bridge or the right person needs to hear guys down the hill or they need to just fucking put out more information. It sounds like they need a Michelle McNamara. Like she was the Golden State Killer, uh, the the internet sleuth, I for lack of better words, who was obsessed with that case and died looking into that case. Uh, It sounds like this could be Kelsey. And it sounds like that's what she's trying to do, which is beautiful. But oh my God, it's, it's too much for family members. Like family members can't be expected uh, to do that. That's just hard. So, uh, down the hill podcast, I suggest, but it's dark. This whole story is pretty dark. Um, there's tons of YouTube videos of the location. Go look up all of this stuff. It's fascinating. And I feel like when something happens in a small town, like there's more activation around it because it's that thing, uh, people knowing like you're one degree away as opposed to when things are in a in bigger cities and it's easier to kind of have that like be a diluted like in that way um I grew up in a small town and we had a murder that I might talk about in the future but this is absolutely true uh if it were a big town that I had come from and and this murder had happened uh I just feel like it wouldn't be as impactful It's the point of community and the point of knowing your neighbors and caring about your neighbors and learning who they are. And then also for the, you know, uh, for lots of reasons to care about them and then to also be aware of who's around you. Uh, 
so that's the story and that's all I have on it tonight. Um, so, uh, just a couple things that I want to end the show with tonight. Uh, first I will be a special guest on this podcast called hate radio. Uh, it's my first appearance on a podcast. So wish me luck, everyone. Uh, I will maybe, uh, speak more about that in a couple weeks on the next episode and let you guys know how it went. Um, also I've been writing these lately at night and I probably should fix that um, because I'm the type who I love. I love this shit. I love it, but I'm kind of a pussy and like, I don't like to watch scary movies at night by myself. I have to be with someone. Um, So writing these is kind of like watching a scary movie and I need to like decompress with some cartoons or some shit afterwards. Um, So I was writing this and um, it was thundering, heavy rain, heavy winds. We haven't gotten rain in weeks, so it was just kind of an eerie night to be uh, researching and writing about murder. Um, It just kind of set the whole tone. Um, So I finished writing the episode, and I'm getting ready to shut down, go to my bedroom. It's eerily quiet in the house, and you know that feeling you get when you feel like someone's watching you or like someone is close by, like you, you get a feeling. Well, I had it and I turn around and my fucking kid is standing in the doorway, just staring at me. I legit got fucking chills. My heart jumped out of my chest a little bit. And all I could say was, holy shit, you scared the fuck out of me. Like, and I think from that point on, like that's when I decided that's my last nighttime murder writing because I almost had a heart attack. It was terrifying. <laughs> Anyways, ending on that note, um, thank you all again for the continuous love and support that you have given me. Um, please like, rate, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, if you want to write in um, for any reason to correct something that I may have gotten wrong, just don't fucking give me a one star rating, please. Let me give me some time to redeem myself. I will correct things if I'm wrong and they're brought to my attention. Uh, so write in if I'm wrong. Uh, if you have a story you want me to tell, if you have a story that you want to tell, if you want to give me feedback, uh, whatever, just write in. If you want to just chat, uh, of monsters and crime at gmail.com is the email address to do that. Um, that's all I have for you guys until next time. Bye.